The last couple of weeks uh, have been really great for our gathering on Sundays. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we reinforced one of our core values as a church body, and that is being stewardship guided. Uh, we did a message called The Cornerstones of Stewardship. And um, anyway, I encourage you to go back online if you happen to miss that or to just be reminded of that. Uh, you can go back to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, pull down sermons, and there it'll be listed on on uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And then last week was what I would call an impromptu message, um, one that I hadn't planned, but one the Holy Spirit just kind of really instantaneously gave us, um, shed His light and His revelation on. And the message last week was called White as Snow. And uh, it was just one of those just timely words that the Lord had us in. Uh, a lot of you were unable to be here due to uh, different circumstances, the snow, the time change, the spring break, sickness. It just kind of had strike three on a lot of our lives. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I encourage you to go back, get that message. Go back to last week, New Life Church of Jackson, sermons, white as snow. And um, anyway, I really believe it's a word for all of us. And today, um, we're going to get into this text. Today, I want to talk to you about reject. Rejection, rejecting rejection. Rejection is something we all deal with, we all encounter. But the good news, as with anything in our life, we are never alone because Jesus has already gone through it. And that's what we're going to find out today, and we're going to look at his pattern. Let's look at the word today, Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest... I love that he put great in there, not an awful one, not a legalistic one, not a self-pious one, but a great high priest. Who is that? Who has entered heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. And he says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he understands our weaknesses So many people look to God and they think he has no comprehension about what I'm going through. But the reality of it is he knows exactly what it's like for you to go through what you're going through. For he faced all of the same testings we do. All, that means all, everyone, not one is absent. He knows all of the same testings, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And at that throne there, we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Aren't you grateful that that's in the Bible and it's repeated in different ways throughout the Bible that God has been there, done that, has walked through it through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can now come to Him, to His throne, boldly, not timidly, but reverently. But we can come boldly, and we can get the help, the mercy, the grace that we need for our life, for whatever weakness, whatever testing, whatever struggle, whatever circumstance you and I might be facing at any given time. In fact, it's elaborated on later in the scriptures that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through Jesus Christ. 
you, if you have not discovered yet, you should know that whatever it is you're looking for, it is found only in Jesus Christ. He supplies it all. He is all. He is our all in all. Amen? Find grace to help when we need it most. Flip back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them, talking about his disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying. And this is what he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, well, your will, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, like some in our church services sometimes. (laughs) So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and he said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Let's pray over the word today. Father God, thank you for your word. There's so much on it, so much in it that we still need understanding and revelation for. And I pray that you would truly give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation today to understand and to discern what you are saying to us. Give us ears to hear. Let our lives welcome and receive what it is you want to speak to us because when you speak to us, you speak life to us, life that changes us, life that transforms us, life that gives us life abundant, more than we ever thought we could ever have because your way is better than ours for your thoughts are higher and greater than ours. So today we give you our time and our attention in these next few minutes. Speak. Lord, speak, and may we walk in your ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody who wants that can say amen. 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 Awesome. Well, listen, reject, rejection. Rejection is something every single one of us deal with, something that that is, well, that's inevitable in all of our lives. We're rejected on different levels, different degrees, rejected at home, been maybe rejected by our own family, rejected by some church members, 
Maybe we've been rejected by people at work. Maybe our boss has overlooked us. Maybe somebody didn't give us the time of day. Maybe we were rejected by the, by the waitress or the waiter at a restaurant. They had too many tables. They didn't get to our needs fast enough. Whatever it might be. Rejection is, is something that, that's not, that, that is familiar with all of us. Maybe we were rejected by peers. I know those, those who are in their adolescent years, that, it strikes pretty hard in those time frames. But let me just tell you, young folks, as you get older, rejection still exists. It still hurts. It still stings. However, there's a pattern right here in the Word of God. In fact, we've been talking about it, singing about it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look forward to His wonderful face. We're going to look at His pattern. We're going to look at what He did on how He faced rejection, but He chose to reject it. In other words, when you reject rejection, you don't let it define you. You don't wear its label. You don't let it become your coat. You don't become the victim. Because usually what happens, those of us who give in to rejection, we get isolated, and then we look for ways to afflict pain on others because we want somebody else to feel the pain we felt. We want somebody else to fill the void we felt. And friends, that is never a good place to be, never a healthy place to be. In fact, that is not where God's will leads us. His will leads us down the path to reject rejection. It happens, it's real, it hurts, it stings. But let me just tell you that it is very possible, life with Jesus Christ, following His word, following His example, following His pattern, can actually heal our hearts and cover us in such a way and make us strong in such a way to where when rejection happens, we reject it and it does not have the negative effects that it wants to have in our life. So many people in our world, so many people in our circles, so many people around us deal with this subject. They deal with rejection. Spouses reject one another. Parents reject children. Children reject parents. Teachers reject students. Employers reject employees. Peers reject peers because we want to look cool for the other cool people. Right? It happens. It just changes on as we move along in different ways. But Jesus experienced firsthand what it was like to deal with facing rejection, and he rejected rejection. I'd like to go through the rest of my life that when somebody says no to me, meaning, hey, I don't, I don't want your leadership, I don't want your friendship, I don't want what you have to offer me, that I could go through life and not be angry at that person. That I could go through life and not wish harm on them for rejecting me. That I could go through life and I could speak blessings and not cursings. That I could go through life that if I see the one who betrayed me, if I see the one who rejected me, I don't think, oh, how could I get back at them? But how can I still love in the face of rejection? Not saying it's easy, right? Not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's possible because Jesus Christ tells us how it can be done. Right here in this story, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
This is nearing the, this is like what we call the, the Passion Week, the week leading up to Good Friday and to Resurrection Sunday and Easter. But it carves out and cuts out a pattern that shows us how we can reject rejection. And see, it, things start out great. Three and, a half, three and a half years earlier, Jesus calls his first disciples and they leave everything and they follow him. It's awesome. And in fact, it says even large crowds began to follow him. He had a following. He had a gathering. He had people looking to him for guidance and leadership. There came a time and place where he spoke truth, and some of those, a lot of those people who were following him did not want to follow him anymore because they couldn't handle the truth. In fact, John's gospel, John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, says many disciples left him. People left Jesus. People rejected Jesus. And he knows what it's like. And then as you come into this story right here in in Matthew 26, Matthew describes it, talks about it. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he tells them, hey, by the end of this night, all of you are going to reject me. Talking to his closest disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, all these guys, all of you are going to reject me. And they're like, no, there's just no way. Just no way. Judas betrays him. And by the time you get to the, the, the arrest of Jesus at the end of this prayer time in Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested. Judas has betrayed him with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. It said in verse 56 that all those disciples deserted Jesus, rejected him. There he is, left alone. But what did he do in order to be able to face it and not get up on the cross and pray instead of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed that, but he did something in order to get himself to there because the opposite could have happened. Father, rain down fire and brimstone on every single one of them because they're all dirty, disgusting, rotten people. They don't know what they're doing. They're all idiots. They're all crazy. (coughs) They've hurt me. I've been beaten. I've got a crown of thorns. They're mocking me. Telling me, hey, who hit you, prophet? Who hit you, prophet? Come on, tell us. No, he did something powerful that, emp- that empowered him to be able to get on the cross, arms open wide. Father, forgive every one of them. I don't hold anything against them. Wow. I want to be able to get to that place to live like that. People don't understand. People don't, people don't mean to be mean. Peoples is people, right? We don't mean to be mean always. We don't mean to be short and blunt and, and, and whatever way we act towards others. We just get caught up in ourselves too many times, right? I'll answer for you. Yes, we do. But he carves out this, this pattern. We're going to look at it. There's three parts to this pattern that I just want to pull out today, these next few minutes. The first part of this pattern is Jesus had the right people in his life. Verse 37 and 38 in this, in this story said he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he took Peter, he took James, he took John with him and began to express himself to them and let them know how he was feeling. And the thing about having the right kind of people in our life is it's not just anybody. It's not just anyone. It's having the, the right circle, the right inner circle in our life. Every single one of us need an inner circle of the right kind of people. From the very time we're able to start picking friends and choosing people, 
and different things like that. We need to make sure we have the right type of people in our life. Jesus had a top three in his 12. He had the 12, he had 72, he had 12, he had three, and he had the one John, the beloved, the three, Peter, James, and John. And they remind us of something. They remind us of the kind of people that, that we need in our life, people who will walk with us people who will pray with us, people who will watch with us. Now, I know we can give these guys a bad rap here in this story. They fell asleep, and he asked them, couldn't you watch? And there's another message involved in that. But the point being is he took those three with him. He had confidence in them. He trusted them. It was those three that he could bear his soul to and nobody else. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, telling three grown men, hey, guys, my soul is anguished to the point of dying. I mean, this is killing me what I'm having to face. And I know there's some things in our life. There's, there's, there's people who have rejected us so bad that we need, we need three kinds of people in our life. We, ha- we need a top three like Jesus had, Peter, James, and John. In fact, the Bible tells us this in Ecclesiastes 4, that a, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And then Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three, the grace, the love, and the fellowship of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that these three, these are the greatest three that remain, faith, hope, and love, right? And so... I want to take that as a cue and a sign for us that I believe those are the kinds of people we need in our inner circle. We need people of faith in our life, not scattered around. Well, we need at least, we need them to be in our, our most intimate circle in our life. We need some people of faith. People of faith do this for us. They tell us, hey, you need to believe and trust in God. I know how, I, I can't imagine how you feel right now. I don't know exactly what's going on in your life. The, what you went through, what they did to you was not right. You're feeling the pain of rejection and people of faith tell you, but you still need to trust God because God has not and will not reject you. People of faith tell you to believe in God because he holds your life together. People of faith tell you this, you need to look to Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. He writes it, he scripts it, he produces it, he publishes it, he finishes it. You need to look to Jesus. You don't need to look to the ways of the world. You need to look to Jesus. Look at his pattern. Look at his example. How did he deal with this? That's what you need to do as well. But it takes people of faith to tell us that, people who believe and help us believe in Christ. And people of faith do this. They help you to believe in yourself. Not in a selfish way, but in a holy way. You know that you were created in the image of God. And people of faith in your inner circle, they help you to believe in yourself again. When other people don't believe in you, man, when other people take advantage of you, turn their back on you, talk about you, reject you, you need people of faith to help you to believe in yourself again, to see the value of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But we also need people of hope. We need people of hope. People of hope, they, they live like this. They, they say tomorrow is going to be better than today. Anybody got any hope people in your life? 
People that tell you, they, believe, they live by Psalm 30, that, verse 5, that the weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. People of hope know that tomorrow will be brighter, tomorrow will get better, that it's day by day, step by step, that if you will continue to look ahead and not behind you, people of hope help you to believe that. People of hope help to get you to understand that. You need people of faith to help you believe, but you need people of hope to inspire you and raise, raise your spirit. Because when your soul is down, when your spirit is down, you need somebody of hope to come alongside of you and tell you, it's going to be all right. Amen? But you also need people of love. And, and, and in fact, Paul says this of, of love, the greatest of these three is love. Because I think people of love they tell you the truth. In fact, we're admonished to speak the love, the truth of God to one another in love. People of love speak the truth. And now that is, those are the kind of people that we can't do without. We need people of love because people of love tell us the truth. They tell you, look, what you got going on, what has happened to you, what you're experiencing, let me just tell you this. The truth is you can't do what it is you're thinking about doing. You can't be hateful because you were hated on. You can't go and, 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 and create problems because problems were created against you. You can't go and make matters worse by taking the situation into your own hand and doing what you want to do right now because that's what your flesh is telling you. That's what your, your carnal side is telling you. Well, this will make me happy. This will get revenge. This will make me feel good. People of love tell you the truth. They say, no, you need to humble yourself before God and you need to wait on Him. You need to let Him work some things out in you because you can't take this stuff into your own hands and play God because if you try to play God, you're going to screw your life up. Now, I thank God I've got some truth-tellers in my life. Amen? Especially early on in my life when I was wanting to do what I wanted to do. And I had people who loved me and came to me, and they looked at me and said, What are you thinking? Why are you wasting your time? If you want to do that, you can go mess your own life up because that's all it's going to do. But people of love told me the truth, but they also had a, they helped guide me. They help pull me back in and help me to understand that this is what's best for my life. Who's your top three? Who's your people of faith? Who's your people of hope? Who's your, your people of love? If, if you don't have those kind of people as your inner circle, and in fact, actually, the, the common thread in all of that is they love Jesus to the core. They don't play Christian. They'll play church. They don't play dress me up. I look good on Sunday and look like whatever else the rest of the week. Right? These are people who are solid, who are committed to you. They're loyal to you. And they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to inspire you. And they're also going to help you to believe who are your top three. What's your inner circle look like? If you'll look at your inner circle right now, that is what your future will look like. Show me your friends now, and it'll show you your future tomorrow. And this applies to... Everybody. Amen? Everybody. I don't care how old we are. I don't care how old we get. This applies to every single one of us. Because here's the flip side to that. You also need to be that kind of person to other people. And if you will aim to be a person of faith or a person of hope or a person of love to somebody, 
however the Lord would use you there, guess what? God's going to make sure you get the same kind of treatment done to you. Amen? So who's your top three? What's your inner circle look like? Do you, are you, do you gravitate to that inner circle or you try to find loopholes to find somebody to tell you what you want to hear? And if you're trying to find people that tell you what you want to hear, then you are really immature in the Lord. And I just got to tell you, you need to grow up. If you want to follow God and you want to get what God has and you want to follow His will and you want to be strong and an overcomer in what He has, get the right inner circle in your life. Amen? Get the right inner circle in your life. Second part of the pattern is this. You guys rolling with me? You blocked me out already? You done took me off your Facebook friends list? Done blocked me? Second part of the pattern is this. Jesus carved it out, cut it out. Reject, rejection. Takes the right kind of people, but it also does, takes this, praying. Takes the right kind of praying. In fact, he, he demonstrates two different sides to this, to this aspect of, pr- of prayer, and that is personal and persistent. It was personal, but it, he was also persistent. Personal, because he took... He went ahead and he prayed. He got stepped off a little further by himself and he prayed personal. Father, if there's any way you can take this cup of suffering away from me, I sure would appreciate it. If there's any way I don't have to go through this, if there's any way I do not have to face what I'm facing, if I don't have to deal with this rejection, Lord, but he didn't stop there. He said, but really? It's not what I really want. It's about what you want. Your will be done in this situation. In other words, I want you to know how this makes me feel. He got real personal. Three times he prayed the same thing. Three times he said to his father, this is how it's making me feel. This is literally killing me. This hurts so bad. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Come on, this is church where we're supposed to be able to be honest. Been in a situation where it, you really are tore up inside, man. I mean, you're really grieved. You're really hurt. I mean, you're, you, it, it is messing with you. And, that, and, it, and that's, where we, need to, that's where, we, where we need to get honest with God. God, this is how it's making me feel. I'm having to go through this, and I don't know why I'm having to go through this. I don't understand why I'm having to go th- through this. Let me tell you, you won't understand why you're going through it while you're going through it. You will only understand why you go through it once you've gone through it. But it sure does stink to go through it, doesn't it? It, 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 It's tough to go through it. Three years you've been going through it. Thank God you're not where you were. That you've come a long way. Three years, a lot of us have been going through some things. And we don't understand it. But we pray personal prayers. You see, I think I believe in praying personal prayers. Not, not selfish prayers, not petty prayers, but the kind of prayers where we exhaust ourselves in the Lord, where we invest our souls into the Lord, and we say, whatever you want, that's what I need to happen in my life. If it means I gotta go through this and I gotta deal with this and you gotta do some things in me, God, this I just want you to know though, this is how it makes me feel right now. 
This is how it makes me feel. There's a poem. It's called Just Checking In. I want to read you. It says, A minister passing through his church in the middle of the day decided to pause by the altar to see who come to pray. Just then the back door opened and a man came down the aisle. The minister frowned as he saw the man hadn't shaved in a while. His shirt was torn and shabby and his coat was worn and frayed. The man knelt down and bowed his head, then rose and walked away. In the days that followed at precisely noon, the preacher saw this chap. Each time he knelt for just a moment, a lunch pail in his lap. Well, the minister's suspicions grew with robbery a main fear. He decided to stop and ask the man, what are you doing here? The old man said he was a factory worker and lunch was half an hour. Lunchtime was his prayer time for finding strength and power. I stay only a moment because the factory's far away. As I kneel here talking to the Lord, this is kind of what I say. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I have been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. Don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this has been just checking in today. The minister, feeling foolish, told Ben that it was fine. He told the man that he was welcome to pray there any time. It's time to go and thanks, Ben said as he hurried to the door. Then the minister knelt there at the altar, which he had never done before. His cold heart melted, warmed with love, as he, melt with, as he met with Jesus there. As the tears flowed down his cheeks, he repeated old Ben's prayer. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is me, the preacher, just checking in today. Past noon one day, the minister noticed that old Ben hadn't come. As more days passed and still no Ben, he began to worry some. At the factory, he asked about him, learning he was ill. The hospital staff was worried that he'd given them a thrill. The week that Ben was with them brought changes in the ward. His smiles and joy contagious. Changed people were his reward. The head nurse couldn't understand why Ben could be so glad. When no flowers, calls, or cards came, not a visitor he had. The minister stayed by his bed. He voiced the nurse's concern. No friends had come to show they cared. He had nowhere to turn. Looking surprised, old Ben spoke up and with a winsome smile. Well, the nurse is wrong. She couldn't know. He's been here all the while. Every day at noon, he comes here. A dear friend of mine, you see. He sits right down and takes my hand, leans over, and he says to me, I just came by to tell you, Ben, how happy I have been since we found this friendship and I took away your sin. I think about you always. I love to hear you pray. And so, Ben, this is Jesus just checking in today.
sometimes I think we complicate prayer to where we can't find God. But prayer is where we find Him. Prayer was never meant to be something that separates us from Him. Prayer, in its purest intention, is what is meant to draw us closer to the Lord. But how personal are we in it? That was personal. wasn't deep, but it was personal. I think God responds more to personal prayers than He does us trying to make it sound a right way. Personal. Jesus made His prayer personal. God, my Father, this is how it's making me feel inside. But He was also persistent. Three times He knelt and prayed. In fact, Jesus even teaches a, a parable about that. In Luke 18, he tells his disciples and teaching them how to pray, he says, hey, those who keep asking, those who keep asking, those are the ones who receive. Those who keep seeking, those are the ones who find. Those who keep knocking on the door, the door will open. How personal and how persistent are we in our prayer time? In just our prayers to the Lord. Six years ago, April of 2011, I had faced probably some of the toughest rejection I'd ever faced in my entire life. And I was wounded and I was hurt and uh, bruised. I don't even know if those words can even describe how I felt inside. But I had this little quiet, secret prayer in my mind that I wanted to meet somebody. I wanted to meet a pastor, a preacher, who was becoming well-known. His name's Stephen Furtick, a pastor of Elevation Church. Some of you may know him. Got a little small thing going in Carolina, reaching tens of thousands of people. But I had gotten um, into a little prayer retreat in East Tennessee. And so I drove over there one day and spent the night and went to this little prayer retreat because Stephen Furtick was going to be there. And he preached, and it was okay. But really, I wanted him to pray for me. I said, Lord, if there's a way he can just lay his hand on my head. Kind of like the lady with the issue of blood for... So many years, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be all right. And he gave an invitation to come to the altar for prayer. I felt like I was probably walking on pews getting there, man. I got there so fast. I got to the far left side. I was literally the last one on the left, and the altars were packed. And he started praying for people way on the other side. And I thought, oh, don't forget me. Don't forget me. And he made his way over to me. And I was on my knees, just crying in the presence of God, hurt, feeling rejected. And he laid his hands on me, and this is what he prayed. You have a good heart. Humility is evident in your life. Go home and do what God has called you to do. No excuses. 
God has charged you for a purpose. I took that, I wrote it down, man, it's still there. And I prayed over that and reminded myself of that. What that did, I didn't know it at the time, but what that did, that gave me enough spiritual energy for the next two years. I met with God every Wednesday at our old location in the sanctuary. Pastor Prentice can attest to this. For two years, I went in that sanctuary and prayed. And I met with the Lord. And I was personal with Him, and I was persistent with Him, praying about what is your will, not only for my life, what is your will for these precious people that you've entrusted into my care? And that, that prayer in East Tennessee in 2011 gave me enough oomph for two years to do that. And at the end of those two years, I came to you and I told you what the Lord had for us and where we are and here we are today. The rest is history. And that was three years ago. Friends, I want to let you know that if we will deal with rejection the way Jesus teaches us to, we'll find ourselves better down the road than if we try to do it on our own. Does it mean it's not real? Does it mean the pain is, does not exist? It's there. But here's what it means too. Jesus knows. He knows. He meets us in our personal prayer, and He meets us as we are persistent in Him. So whatever pain of rejection you have dealt with, maybe you've not dealt with it in the most holy, biblical way possible. Today, I believe the Lord's giving us guidance. That, hey, that hurt. That was real. That ripped part of me out. And I've been suffering from it ever since. The good news for you is you don't have to keep suffering from it anymore. You don't have to wear the label of rejection. You don't have to be defined by rejection. You and I, we can learn to reject rejection. That, hey, I ain't wearing that. That ain't me. That's not me. That does not even fit me. That does not even look like me because it doesn't. And it isn't. You can reject it. But here's what happens. When you have the right inner circle of people in your life, and you pray, and you're personal and you're persistent in it, and you exhaust yourself in the Lord, and you invest your soul in Him, here's what it leads to, the third part of this pattern, and that is the perfect will of God. We sang this song in just a few minutes ago, No place I'd rather be than here in your love. That speaks to being in the perfect will of God. Of God, And at the end of each day, at the end of the day, here's what I hope we would want our lives to be, and that is to be right in the middle of God's perfect will. Because the Bible tells us that His will is good and it's acceptable and it is perfect. Another song, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better set list today, Hannah. You're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. So here's what I need to tell you is whatever urge you have to take life into your own hands and to try to grit it out, bear it out, and do it however you think you need to do it, let go. Let go. The sooner you let go, the sooner God gets involved. And He'll heal your heart. He'll heal the pain. He will. He's so good at it. 
it leads you to the perfect will of God. Because at the end of this time, he went back to his disciples and here's what he told them. He said, hey, rise up. We need to go. The perfect will of God was in view, was in mind, and it was pursued through every through the inner circle of people that Jesus had with Peter, James, and John, through his personal and persistent prayers, here's what it led to. He prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Friend, when you and I are able to attach that to our prayer request to God, that puts all the power in God's hands. Not my will, God, but your will. And you might not really mean it, but you know you're supposed to say it, so you say it anyway. But then the more you begin to say it and become persistent in that type of prayer, the more power God has in your situation. And the more He will lead you to His perfect will. Friends, you don't want your life to not be in the perfect will of God. It is hellacious. It is vicious. It is brutal. It might be appealing. It might have some pleasure involved in it. But it soon passes and it never lasts. But God's will is perfect, and he's, it, will, it will lead you down the right path in every, time, every situation, every single time. Amen? Amen. So with his, the right people, the right prayers, it, it, Jesus was determined to do the will of God. Will you come back up, Hannah? We're going to begin to wrap this up today. perfect will of God in our life, friends, when we're dealing with rejection, when people have wounded us, when people have hurt us, when people have betrayed us, talked bad about us, when we just feel rejected, what's up? Why did that happen? Here's the thing. Keep the perfect will of God in mind and in view and in pursuit. Because if you will keep the perfect will of God in mind, in, in view, and in pursuit, He will make sure you have the right kind of inner circle in your life. And He will hear your prayers. And He will respond to your prayers. Because you want what He wants more than what you want. And even Lindsay, I think, encouraged us in the same thing. I want, we want more of you, God, and less of whatever else. And friend, that's the kind of place God wants us to, wants to see us live in as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. That is a place of maturity where He wants us to live in. That will never get old. That part will never grow old. To live in the place, God, not my will, but your will be done. Peter said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, He will lift you up. Jesus told His disciples, rise up. In this moment, He's feeling rejected, but He says, hey, I'm not going to stay down. It's time to go. We need to rise up. God's will, His perfect will, will always make you rise up. It never keeps you down. It raises you up. It raises you up to be 
who God has called you to be. His will will define you. His will will change you. His will will be everything to you because His will raises you up. God is never about keeping you down. He's always about raising you up. There's an awesome part of Scripture in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 21. You should read this. I read it a hundred times, but read it, read it this week. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 21. Some language Paul describes and uses he's about the will of God. He says, here's some things that I've, I've learned to do. He said, here's what I do. I learned to press on. I haven't made it, but I press on. I press on towards the mark of the high calling of God, towards the will of God. I press on. I'm not going to let rejection keep me back from doing what God wants me to do. I'm not going to let the pain of a relationship, the pain of a bad decision, the pain of whatever someone else has said or done to me, keep me from doing what God wants me to do. I'm going to press on. He said, I'll also do this. I forget what lies behind. I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to keep speaking curses over their life. I'm not going to keep speaking damnation over their life. I'm not going to keep praying prayers. God, light them up, light them up, get them on fire. Not for you, but get them ready for the lake of fire because that's where they belong. I'm not going to pray prayers like that because I'm going to forget what lies behind. If I'm going to do God's will, I've got to forget what people did to me. I've got to let God in on the scene. I've got to let God get in my heart. Because if I want to pursue His perfect will, then that's what matters most. And he says, I also do this. Not only do I press on and forget what lies behind, but I look forward. I keep my eyes on what is ahead of me. Because I don't want to miss any opportunity that God has for my life. I don't want there to be a closed door in my life because I was full of resentment towards somebody. And friend, that's exactly what will happen. You think life's going to keep getting better the more you harbor resentment and anger and angst and hatred and unforgiveness and all this other stuff in your life towards other people? No, he'll make sure every door stays closed. Why? Because you won't properly appreciate what's on the other side. And nor will you be able, you won't have the character to handle it. There's a reason we have to go through things. I don't understand them all. There's a lot of things that happened that I just wish didn't happen. Especially when I see it happening to other people. I'm like, they didn't do anything. They're just like innocent in this situation. And they're having to go through hell. I don't understand it. But the theological side to it tells me it leads to God's perfect will. And that's the part for our human brains. We have a hard time discerning. Because we want it now. We want it our way. We want it yesterday, right? We want it microwaved and we don't want it too hot. To burn that, you know, the burn you stick it in too quick and it burns the top of your mouth. I hate that. But hey, I wanted it my way. I wanted it fast, right? Yeah. That's how life is sometimes. Paul, perfect will of God. Press on. Forget the stuff that was behind you. Look ahead to what God has. Because God's will is always about being raised up, being raised up, being raised up. Harboring any pain from rejection will always keep you down. But Jesus' pattern is perfect here. And friends, if you and I will learn to follow it, it's a really good pattern. It's a really good pattern. It fits all of us. It fits every size. 
fits every one of us because we can all fit into his will. He doesn't fit into ours. We fit into his will. You want those pants to fit? Fit into his will. You want to look all that? Fit into his will. Amen. Can we stand?